Morning, everybody. Good to be with you. And uh, in this summer period, to be a bit of a different face up here <laughs> from the preaching team. Um, but we're going to read first uh, from Galatians, book of Galatians, chapter 6, and it's verses 1 to 10. If you haven't got a Bible and need one, then uh, Stephen's at the back there and uh, can easily get you one. So thank you, Stephen. So Galatians 6, 1 to 10. If you're using the church Bible, it's page 916. Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfil the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, and not in his neighbour. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, but whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity... Let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Amen. Let me just pray again. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that it is there for our benefit and our teaching and our instruction, our encouragement, our warning. Lord, you have provided your written word and you also promise us, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit to bring it to life. Lord, please enliven this word by your Holy Spirit so that we can take it in and then, as it were, put it into practice. For Jesus' sake, amen. Well, I mean, we're in a new season here at LBC, aren't we, including... Seeking a new minister. God is good, he's clearly at work, and we thank him for many blessings, including a fresh and expanded leadership team and exciting opportunities for service in our local community and worldwide mission. I do believe that this church has an important continuing role in God's kingdom purposes in this area as well as beyond you? God certainly has exciting kingdom possibilities in this area and he wants this church to be used as part of that. These verses in Galatians 6 focus on one essential for a healthy church, the godly strength and attractiveness of our relationships. 
the quality of our relationships with one another is at the heart of unity, growth, and mission. And it's crucial to pleasing our Saviour and Lord. So the word I'm, I'm bringing is both down-to-earth and practical, and yet challenging, as it often is when we go to Scripture. And uh, I've sort of given it a title of Experiencing God's New Life Together. Experiencing God's New Life Together. Together, that means here, within the church family. What should church life be like? What can each of us do to make it better? How will God help us, empower us, to enrich our relationships with one another? Here Paul gives us all some principles, some pointers, if you like, some tips on how to do that. The key verse is verse 2. Bear one another's burden and so fulfill the law of Christ. And I want to bring you three things, really, from Paul's teaching uh, in these verses. Uh, an assumption that Paul makes, a command that he gives, and a massive encouragement. So first, the assumption. When Paul writes to churches, as here, he wants and expects there to be a commitment to be together and to stay together. Paul assumes that the Christians he's writing to in the Galatian churches are and will be together enough to relate meaningfully to each other. There's a lot of New Testament teaching, isn't there, about improving the quality of relationships in the church. But in a sense, that's meaningless unless we are fully committed to being in relationship. Think for a moment about the start of that key verse, bear one another's burdens. We'll think about the detail in a minute. But you cannot even start working on that unless you know one another's burdens. And you cannot know one another's burdens unless you know one another. And you cannot help anyone carry anything unless you are alongside that person. Is that right? It's not profound, is it? But it's practical truth. So surely when Paul talks here and in many other places about Christian fellowship and about all the obligations of love, he's talking first and foremost about that demanding and often messy business of loving brothers and sisters right alongside us, loving one another. It trips off the tongue. The New Testament is full of one another's, isn't it? Love one another, bear with one another, forgive one another, wait for one another, care for one another, pray for one another. I could spend the whole time on one another's. All such statements need to be worked out in day-to-day -day relationships within a local 
church family. And then, of course, out beyond that to other people whom God puts alongside us or calls us to reach out to and serve. Now, that's the problem, isn't it? The problem of loving everyone, which doesn't sound too bad, in theory, inside or outside the church, is basically loving Fred or Frida or whatever other name you want to put in that place. Loving everybody, in theory, is easy. Loving Fred and Frida is not always easy. So in any church, in any church people need to be together, to relate together, and to give that real priority and commitment. As it says in Hebrews 10.25, not neglecting to meet together. And of course that goes beyond times of Sunday worship. Paul assumes it, but sometimes we can neglect it or forget it. As we know, we've all been through some very trying times with uh, COVID, when we've had to rely so much on online teaching and we've met online. And we are now in this phase of still building together practically face to face. Um, and although that online ministry was a huge gift of God and the only option, now we are not having that only option. We have the option of being together. And I think it's very hard to do anything to one another if we are only in a separate house online. We need to be together. And before we leave that, let me just mention the other specific emphasis that Paul brings in this passage. Stay together. Be together Stay together. In verse 9, he says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. This is a principle that Paul applies to all our relationships within or outside church. As verse 10 says, So, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. That's here. Life in the local Christian family can surely be so rewarding, encouraging, strengthening, can't it? Surely we all know that. We've all experienced that. But of course, there are times, since we are people, and people tend to have issues and problems and faults, we all have those, um, so it can be demanding, messy, testing. So as in so many other situations, Paul says, let us not grow weary. He knows that's the temptation. Persevere. I don't know about you, but do you ever become weary with the ins and outs and ups and downs of church life? Not just this church, but in other churches you've been in. Surely we all do at some point. 
Do you sometimes think church would be fine if it wasn't for the people? If it wasn't for Fred or Frida? Paul's practical tip is this. Don't expect too much too soon. In relation to our efforts to do good, to be and say and do the right thing in the midst of difficulties, he uses the picture of a harvest. Crops take time to grow, and people take time to grow. And short-term thinking is often not helpful. This, I think, applies within churches and in mission to unbelievers. Verse 9 again. At the proper time, says Paul, we will reap a harvest. We have to sow and water, but leave the joy and timing and fruitfulness of that harvest in God's hands. As a church, we recently had an email from a man who, as a student in Lincoln, joined an alpha course here. A person called Michael. No one, well, hardly anyone here will probably remember Michael. We're talking 20 years ago. Um, as a student, he was here, um, just on the Alpha course. 20 years ago, he's now 40 and living in Wales, married with three children. He tells us that he made a Christian commitment shortly after coming on the Alpha course. Since then, he's been a missionary abroad and is now preaching regularly in his home church. We didn't know that. I was one of those with a good team who led Alpha courses in those years. I can hardly remember Michael, if I'm honest. And he didn't leave as a Christian, but he became a Christian very soon afterwards. We were a massive link in that chain, clearly. We invested in him 20 years ago. And whether or not we find the result of those investments is fairly irrelevant. The harvest is up to God and the place and everything. But we have to believe that if we invest good things in people, there will be a harvest. It's interesting that when he wrote this email, and he was very apologetic, he'd left it 20 years. Um, but, uh, you know, he, he was talking about how we treated him. Obviously, there was wonderful teaching on an Alpha course. Hopefully, our discussions and groups and everything helped. I'm sure they did. But he said things like, you showed me the most amazing amount of compassion and understanding. That's not a big deal, is it? Well, I think it was a big deal to him. And he's remembered it. And it helped him to become a Christian. So this is Paul's assumption, the given, without which we may as well forget achieving and experiencing and expressing the blessing of God's new life together. We have to be together and we have to stay together 
and we have to love one another. So let's look secondly at that command, bear one another's burdens. And it's at the heart of what I want to say to you this morning. Once we're close enough and committed enough to each other to recognise a burden when we see one, we have to get underneath it and lift. I just want to highlight two aspects of helping bear one another's burdens. The first one is aim to restore other people. Aim to restore other people. Judging from verse 1, Paul is focusing in that particular verse on, on spiritual burdens, though the principle is much wider, as I'm sure your own experience of life and love will show. Verse 1, he says, Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Now the second half of that verse is vital. To be a restoring and healing influence in a fellowship, we need to remember that we are all on level ground in God's sight and before the cross. There aren't wonderful helpers who are immune from temptation and falling and people who sadly are not immune. We are all on level ground. We are all subject to temptation, says Paul. We all can and do fall into sin. We all need to be on guard. Sin is deceptive and can entrap us in a moment. Now, that can mean things like pride, self-righteousness, and condemnation of others. All the perils of being a do-gooder rather than doing good. There is a distinction. So we do have to be wise and discerning in our bearing of burdens, and remember that we all stand by grace alone. There but for the grace of God I do go. Paul is clear on that. He says in verse 3, For if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Paul often uses this word deceives, deception. He thinks, you know, we might be Christians, but we're so often deceived and uh, we fall for things. But if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Now, please, don't understand that when he is nothing, meaning, oh, we've got to all think we're terrible and the worst of people and we shouldn't be alive, really. You know, that sort of thing. He's not saying that. He's just saying, really, that if we are relating to God, you do not stand and say, look at me. I'm all right. I'm helping these people who aren't all right. It's fatal. In God's sight, in that sense, we're all nothing. We don't bring wonderful things to God. And if we do bring wonderful things, he uses us, and if we don't, he doesn't. That's not the scene, is it? 
but we do need genuine humility in relating to one another. And then we will find that our desire to help is a restoring thing and it's gentle because we recognize that's what we need and that's what we have received from God as well as people. So the question is, do you seek a ministry of restoration within this fellowship? Think for a minute about those people who restore paintings. I don't know whether you've ever seen them at work. I often watch the Antiques Roadshow, which probably dates me. Um, but sometimes you see people who are restoring a famous painting. They see it as precious and unique. The restorer comes to it with the sole aim of restoring its beauty, its glory. They have no agenda of their own to be a great artist or anything like that. They see the glory of the picture. They see its potential as well as its current state. They're patient and they're definitely gentle. I just think, how can you spend months doing little things like this? You know, I couldn't do it. But that is restoring, gently. How we need people restorers in our nation, in our world, in our city, and definitely in our churches. And this family that we're in here is our first and, in a sense, often primary opportunity to demonstrate that and doing good to people. I think if we don't genuinely have a heart to help and restore and renew others in the fellowship, where there are believers, you are unlikely to sustain such a ministry outside. Or else you can find that you somehow you're working on a separate agenda to God's. Because Paul says here, first of all, to the fellowship, the household of faith. Coming alongside others with a desire to gently restore helps lift burdens and gives hope. It encourages and it builds people up. How can we do that? How can we restore people? How can we lift burdens, make them lighter? Well, we can share ourselves and what we have and are with them, all the good things the Lord has given us. In the context here, it will mean reassuring them that we have a Lord who forgives, that we have a Saviour who's paid the price of our wrongdoing and who himself loves to restore us to full fellowship with him. But whatever the need is, you can still lift burdens through innumerable ways, can be physical or practical, a need for transport, babysitting, shopping, decorating. Loads of things can be lifting burdens for people. Can be mental or emotional, fear, anxiety, grief, despair, bitterness, feeling overwhelmed with something. Their burdens help lift them. 
They can be clearly spiritual, pressures of temptation, guilt, loss of peace, etc. The list is endless, crosses any boundaries. In Galatians 6, 6, Paul is probably envisaging a material need when he writes, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. That's a material need. As a Christian family, we have a variety of gifts, abilities and personalities, but there are ways in which everyone can be a restorer and enrich church life. Now, you may sometimes feel you can't do much. Ever felt that? I've joined that club. Uh, I sometimes think a lot of things are beyond me, and some of them are. So I identify with that. Seasons do change. This is not a guilt trip. You should be doing more. As we have opportunity, says Paul, then do good. Part of being on level ground is that all of us sometimes have to be gracious and be thankful receivers from other people. But most of us can do something. It might be a smile. It might be a word of encouragement. It might be noticing when someone's not around much and finding out why and blessing them in some way. It might be encouragement of all sorts. When someone's down, encourage them. It might be a phone call, it might be a card, it may be a visit. You know, there are no set ways in which you can relate to people, are there? But Paul does highlight one thing to avoid if we're going to restore people, if we're going to lift burdens and not add to them. And that thing is avoid comparisons with others. Comparing ourselves with others is a great fellowship killer. It produces envy and jealousy, resentment and bitterness. How come they're better off than me? or more attractive, or confident, or popular, or gifted. Sometimes comparing ourselves with others can also produce arrogance and pride if somehow we think we are better than somebody else. Back to thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought, thinking we're something when we're nothing. Comparisons are not what we need to do. You know, this can creep in so subtly, particularly when God has blessed our work and produced fruit. It is then easy, oh, so easy, to take the credit. It's all about me. In verses four to five, Paul writes, let each one test his own work then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbour, for each will have to bear his own load. 
actually, when you, um, when you do that, when you look at yourself with the Lord, don't do it on your own, because you'll get, get it wrong. With the Lord, examine yourself. Then you'll, he'll point out progress. He'll also point out where you're going backwards. I can guarantee you will not be boasting at the end of it. But you might be deeply contented and deeply satisfied with what God is doing in your life. So we should take uh, our powerful spotlight off other people and turn it on to ourselves before the Lord. We can never fully know why others are like they are. You don't know, and I don't know, where other people have come from. don't mean literally. I mean, you know, what, what's been going on in their life years ago that make them as they are? What struggles they've had? Comparison is therefore pointless as well as wrong. God alone has the knowledge and the right to make judgments about people. Now, I felt I had to say, don't misunderstand me here. (laughs) What I mean is, refuse to judge people harshly or self-righteously. It doesn't mean that we are excused from sometimes having difficult conversations with each other about how we or others have been hurt. Maybe recognising and tackling how someone's negative behaviour is showing up very much in hurting other people, even if it's not hurting us. That responsibility often falls, though not exclusively, on church leaders. And as you read the whole epistle to the Galatians, Paul has been absolutely amazed and appalled how deeply many in the church have been misled and deceived, again, by the legalism or fleshly indulgence of other people. Christians have been turned away from the glorious sufficiency of Christ. And as brothers and sisters together, you know, clearly that can't just go on and pushed aside. Speaking the truth in love, he calls it in Ephesians 4.15. It's far from simple or easy, but I think I can say that you will definitely get a, or more likely to get, a warmer reception to speaking the truth in love when it is speaking the truth in love. When pe- if people see that you are generally a restorer, a gentle person who wants the best for somebody, if they see that, as well as hearing the truth they don't want to hear, then maybe that will be a key to restoring that person. That's going into that anymore is a bit beyond this morning. Anyway, here in these verses, Paul is acknowledging that there is another side of the coin about carrying burdens. Yes, we must bear one another's burdens, but we also have to shoulder 
our personal responsibilities before God. We should judge ourselves, not others, and not resort to comparisons. He's saying there is a personal load, if you like, a backpack that we all carry with us, that we must carry and have to carry and take responsibility for. Can't be offloaded. We are all accountable before God. And that's who we are accountable to, finally, for who we are and how we act. And God is the one who knows our full story, and therefore he can make a true judgment. So we have that assumption, be together and stay together, and a command, bear one another's burdens. And finally, I just want to talk about the massive encouragement that we have. It's nice to get massive encouragement, isn't it? Well, the encouragement, I think, is this. If you're a Christian, you can walk in the Spirit. You are the only person in the universe, if you're a Christian, who can walk in the Spirit. Paul says you can restore people because if you're spiritual, i.e. not, ooh, I'm spiritual, but I've got the Holy Spirit living within me, the Spirit of Christ. And if the person who you're seeking to help also has that same spirit, then you're on to a really good thing from the start. As Christians, we have that indwelling presence and power of the Holy Spirit. As we acknowledge that and yield to him, we can increasingly behave properly. We can behave positively, we can behave gently, we can behave patiently, behave, behave in all the ways that are described in Scripture, in the one another's, for example. Go back to verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ is imprinted in us by our being in Christ. You know, if you are in Christ and Christ is in you, then there will be that law, if you like, that ability to keep that law, his law, not an external law, but the law of Christ imprinted in you if we don't resist it. In John 13, 34, Jesus says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Stakes have gone up, haven't they? As I have loved you, you can love one another. You must love one another. Similarly, James in his epistle calls loving your neighbour the royal law. It is the law of Christ. Everything I've been saying this morning comes back to loving one another within and beyond the church. And fulfilling the law of Christ also speaks to me of knowing that power. Don't think for a moment that in 484 days or years 
you will get perfect. You won't. But you, you and I, are all Christians, should be growing, should be moving forward. That's when you examine yourself. Am I moving forward, Lord? Well, yes and no. You know, we need the Lord in that. But we need the Spirit of Christ in us to do what Jesus did. He said we'd do more than he did when he went away because we'd have the Holy Spirit living within us. Well, I don't mean more in terms of the unique saving work of Jesus, obviously, but more in terms of treating other people better and doing his will in other ways. We are supposed to live in ways that it is impossible to live without Christ, without the Spirit of Christ, experiencing God's new life together. So please receive that encouragement this morning. It's real. What Paul elsewhere calls the law of the Spirit of life, if we, if we believe in that law and allow the Lord to live his life through us, individually and as a fellowship, we will increasingly experience life together. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and life in abundance. So if you think you've reached your level of abundance, stop listening. I want to go on, don't you? And experience more of Jesus' life. It's a wonderful law that overcomes other laws. If I had a ball here, which I haven't, um, I mean, you can amuse a toddler very easily by dropping a ball and then catching it before it reaches the ground. I found that out with grandchildren. But what is that? It's one law overcoming another, isn't it? There is a law of gravity, and if you drop a ball, it drops, and it will go to the ground. If you interrupt that law with another law, I have no idea what it's called, but another force that is stronger, me deciding and, and doing something which grasps the ball before it gets to the ground, I've overcome the law of gravity. People who do the high jump tend to do that. <laughs> a stronger force is now in you as a Christian. We don't always live by that force, if you like, by that person who says, let me do that in you. And the mega bonus of it all is if we are ourselves, sorry, if we are determined that we must help and bless others uh, in Christ's name and with his power through the Spirit, then we ourselves are blessed abundantly and continually. As you ask to go on being filled with the Spirit, guess what will happen? He will fill you with the Spirit. And therefore, you will be blessed yourself and you'll be passing on that blessing to somebody else. 
But we do have to submit, receive, and cooperate as God's co-workers. We have to cooperate with him. These are not easy words, are they? Submit, receive, cooperate. We need to do it. In John 7:38, Jesus declares in a loud voice to the crowds at the Feast of Tabernacles, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. That is always the start of helping anybody, including yourself. Come to the Lord and drink. Be filled with the Spirit. Then you've got something to pass on. And I know from experience that if that sequence of receiving and overflowing is interrupted, we collapse under our own burdens, let alone helping anybody else. Let me also just read verses 7 and 8. Do not be deceived, says Paul. There's a lot of deception going on, particularly in Galatia, but most places really. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. What we sow will be what we reap. It's a law of life, it's a law, the law of Christ. True freedom is found only in Christ as, he, as we let him live his life through us. And the final scripture is in Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30. Jesus says to each one of us today, come to me, all you who are weary, and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's the great burden bearer, and the more we let him live his life through us, so people will have their burdens lifted. So we should be cooperating with Christ, but he is always the ultimate and the one we should point people to. You know, we can help one another, we can do all these one another's, but we should always be pointers to where they can get total help and release and strength and whatever else it is that they need. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. It doesn't always seem like that, does it? That the Christian life is easy. Well, it's not. But the yoke is easy in that it fits. A yoke is something that you share with someone or an animal or whatever. You know, a yoke. Jesus used to make yokes. The carpenter. Get the right yoke, hitch yourself to someone or something that knows what it's doing 
and got the strength, then you can lift burdens. So the, the Christian life is not easy, but let me just assure you that it's impossible without some of these things that Paul is saying here. You'll end up with a very poor substitute if you try and do it yourself. So what seeds are you and I sowing into Lincoln Baptist Church? As Christians, are we depending on our old nature and life or this new nature and life we have in Christ? Let's encourage ourselves, encourage one another and see the Spirit of Christ produce a harvest, an abundant harvest in and through us that will bring glory to him into eternity. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's just pray. Lord Jesus, how we bless you that you gave up everything for us and came to this earth. Oh Lord, all those privileges of the Godhead that you gave up you came to serve, you came to wash feet, you came to lift burdens, and particularly the huge burden of our sin. But other burdens too, Lord, you said that you wanted to help people who are weary and burdened. So Lord, whenever we feel like that, whenever we want to give up, whenever we want to forget to do what we should be doing, Whenever we want to uh, just opt for an easy church life, Christian life, not too demanding. Within my capabilities, Lord, help us not to do that, but to yoke ourselves again to you, to know that that's what you want, that we work in your strength and not our own. Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit today and tomorrow, and the next day, and every day remaining of our lives here. And one day we shall see you in glory, Lord, and we'll say, hallelujah, you did it, Lord. And thank you that you helped me to help a few people, and though I made a lot of mistakes, Lord, thank you that you committed yourself totally to me and brought me eternal life. Lord, we give you all the glory because you are the one who reigns and is forever adored. Amen.